Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Good evening and welcome to Tunnel Vision, a show presented to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Jack Smith, joined in studio by Connor Morissette, and we're here to preview USC versus Washington, the fifth-ranked Huskies rolling into the Coliseum this Saturday. Thank you guys all for joining the show. It's a pleasure to have you in here. If you're on YouTube or Twitter, make sure you're leaving comments letting us know you know, where you're watching from and make sure you're leaving a like. We can put any of the comments that you guys put up on the screen if you want to call into the show later to rant maybe a little bit about the game at Cal, talk about this game against Washington, give us any of your thoughts on USC football. We want to hear your voices. You can call in at 5124-TUNNEL. Again, that's 5124-TUNNEL, the number to call in. Make sure you're leaving questions that we'll get to at the end of the show. Connor, of course, we're going to preview USC versus Washington. Before we get to that, I want to make us go through a small topic here first. USC schedule was released today for their first season in the Big Ten. I just kind of wanted to hear your quick thoughts. So we can run through the schedule real quick. It starts September 1st, another early game for USC. That's a Sunday matchup against LSU in Las Vegas. We knew that one was coming. Then they go the next week. They host Utah State. They get their first bye of two of the season. Then they're at Michigan, their first Big Ten True game is at Michigan in the big house. Wisconsin comes to the Coliseum the next week before the Trojans go to Minnesota. Then they host Penn State, kind of alternating between home and road games. Then it's at Maryland, home versus Rutgers, at Washington before the second bye of the season. And you finish out with three straight games at home against Nebraska, at UCLA, and then at home against Notre Dame. What are some of your early takeaways from USC's first Big Ten schedule? I don't want to steal your thunder, but what you're going to say, Jack, is it could have been worse. I agree. But it's tough, man. We already knew the teams, but looking at some of these opponents, I mean, at Michigan, I just, you know, sometimes you can look at games and it's like, okay, that's an automatic win. And you, you probably shouldn't do that too much, but I, I don't see too many like, okay, besides Utah State, that's an obvious game where, where USC can win. I mean, looking at Minnesota on the road, hopefully you beat them on October 5th, but nothing is easy with this schedule. It's going to be a grind. It is fun to see USC with a Hopefully next year, who knows who's going to be the quarterback, but a high-flying offense go up against some of these really good defenses like a Rutgers, like a Minnesota. That'll be fun to watch, but I don't think there's any gimmies except for early non-conference game against Utah State, and we'll see what happens. I'm excited for next year, though. That's going to be a really, really fun few weeks. A lot of great games. Yeah, it feels like last or this year we were kind of waiting for the big game to happen. We're like, well, you know, first six games of USC schedule, there aren't many big games. That's no boom. You're right there against LSU. We knew that one's coming. And then you've got Michigan in week four. I think USC, though, we knew the teams were going to be tough. You look at that 
team schedule, the team slate, and the opponent's list, and you're like, that is very hard for USC. This is going to be a tough season. When I looked at the schedule this morning, I thought they actually, I think, got off pretty easy for their first year in the conference. And there's a couple reasons why. I think, first of all, there's no back-to-back road games. That seems to be pretty easy. You're either alternating or I believe they have got one stretch where there's two straight games at home. Or no, there's one stretch where there's a home game and then then a bye. So that is a positive. And then you don't have these hard teams back-to-back for the most part. I think the closest you come to that is when you are at UCLA and you're at home versus Notre Dame. But the good news is you're not leaving Los Angeles. But this season... You had Utah and Notre Dame back-to-back. You have this week against Washington, next week against Oregon. If you had seen a Michigan and then Washington or a a Penn State and then Notre Dame, that could be a tough stretch. I think USC did it off a little bit easier than maybe I expected because they've got all these tough opponents, but they're not playing them back-to-back. You have a bye before or right after Washington at the end of the season, and you have a bye before Michigan, which is probably the hardest game on the schedule if you're looking right now because Michigan is one of the best teams in the country so I think your buys are placed pretty well and overall I think this is a favorable schedule given the opponents that we knew were coming onto USC slate I think that's totally fair I just want to know what the roster looks like which obviously on November 2nd of 2023 we have no idea there's going to be a lot of turnover with the transfer portal of course and with high school recruiting still occurring who's going to be the quarterback like I said earlier a lot of questions I just am fascinated to know who's going to be the guy leading USC into the Big Ten at QB. That's the number one question. And like I said, a lot of good defenses on this schedule. So whoever that is, of course, they'll be challenged during any season, but especially this one with so much new going on. Man, though, I'm looking forward to it. This is going to be really fun. Yeah, I think there's a couple other teams on the schedule that are wondering who their quarterbacks are going to be. Oh, yeah. You figure UCLA and Penn State, they've got their guys lined up with Drew Aller and Dante Moore. You would assume Moore will be the starter for UCLA next year. But Notre Dame, Sam Hartman's not coming back. Uh, Washington, you're likely not going to have Michael Penix back. LSU, probably not getting Jaden Daniels back. Michigan, J.J. McCarthy is leaving for the draft, probably taken in the first round. Those those are a handful of, of good teams right now that really are great teams. But who knows? Who knows? Really, like USC could be a great team next year if they find the right quarterback. They could be a less than great team if they don't find the right quarterback. And we've seen them be a, a less than great team with maybe the best quarterback in program history this season. So there are questions out there. But overall, I think USC got a favorable schedule with the slate of the opponents that they've gotten, as you've talked about a couple of times. Like it is going to be an awesome year next year. But those are some of the big games on the 2024 slate this week it's one of the biggest games on the 2023 slate with number five Washington coming into the Coliseum undefeated at eight and oh for the first time since 2016 if you remember back to that year you at USC number 20 went to number four Washington and beat the uh and beat the Huskies now who's to say whether we could be confident about that happening this season but what are your overall vibes coming into this game and you know what have you seen so far watching a number five Washington I agree with a lot of USC fans who feel like Washington is beatable. I think that's definitely true. I just wonder if USC is the team to beat him. It's a really tough matchup for a USC defense that I think Ryan tweeted it out earlier since I think like three or four weeks ago, USC's given up the most points outside of three teams in Division I college football. So it just has not been good defensively. And now you have the Heisman favorite, Michael Penix, coming in. Roma Dunze, one of the top wide receivers in college football, coming in. Washington has... Another great receiver, uh, Jalen Polk, and then a good tight end, a couple of good tight ends. 
the running back, you know, it's been hit or miss, but it's just really good skill position guys coming into the Coliseum. And the biggest question that I have going into this game, Jack, is how the heck are you going to slow down this potent Washington offense? It's an offense that has struggled the last couple weeks against Stanford. They had a couple red zone turnovers and against Arizona State, they really didn't perform well. The flu was going through the locker room and Kalen DeBoer said that Washington is feeling better this week. The team is doing better than it was the past couple weeks. So I don't really know exactly if the flu is still there or how that affects the team. But they do have the guys, and when USC has gone against players on offense in the Lincoln-Riley era that have NFL potential, it hasn't been pretty. Well, it also hasn't been pretty against the guys you know <laughs> probably aren't going to end up in the NFL. Uh, uh, you're looking at a team that allowed 49 points to Cal, could have allowed 51 if not for that late Jalen Smith stop, could have lost that football game, and now you've got likely the best offense that they're going to face this year coming in to the Coliseum. I was looking through the stats, and surprisingly, I, I was surprised to see that USC is averaging more points per game than Washington, given you know the, what we've made of their offensive struggles so far over these last couple weeks, but this is still an offense, for USC at least, in large part, that has played at a, at a very high level this season, and even when they've stalled, they've still managed to put the points on the board kind of outside of every game except the Notre Dame game. They put up a good amount of points against Utah considering what Utah's defense is. They go and they score 50 again, uh, which I believe they've scored 50 in four of nine games this season uh, last week at Cal. So USC's offense can go blow for blow with Washington, and Washington's defense isn't the greatest in the world, but it's not as bad as USC's. I believe when you're looking at total scoring, theirs is in the 70s. USC's nearing 120 out of 131 FBS teams. So it's going to be a shootout. You have to think there's going to be a lot of points scored in this game. I think the over-under is somewhere near 78 points, which is a big contrast to Northwestern and Iowa. I think it's at like 29, but it's going to be a very high-scoring game. And as we've kind of talked about, I feel like over these last couple of years, who has the ball last. It feels like one of those games potentially because it's going to be blow for blow. You're going to have two of the best quarterbacks in the country going at it in Caleb Williams and Michael Penix. Maybe whichever defense gets one stop in the second half. And while I do agree that Washington, at least the way they've played the last couple weeks with struggling against Arizona State, really needing a, a, a poor call on a non-pass interference or a non-holding penalty to beat Arizona State and then surviving Stanford when they Stanford probably wins the game if they convert on fourth and two they drop the right play and the receiver drops it likely would have gotten them into field goal range and they've got one of the best kickers in the country it looked like Stanford could have knocked off Washington those are maybe the two worst teams in the conference and they almost beat Washington back-to-back -back weeks so it's interesting to see what kind of Washington team is going to show up this week you feel like they'll play to the level of their competition at least to to get up for this big game because they did so against Oregon but for all the talk that we've had about USC and being disappointing and playing with fire and, you know, kind of effing around and finding out eventually down the, down the stretch of the schedule, Washington is in that point right now where they have really not played up to their potential the last couple weeks. Could it come back to bite them against USC this week is kind of the big question. But if you're a USC fan and you've been watching the past couple weeks, do you have much confidence that USC is the team to do it? I think that was a good question you posed. Absolutely. The Where I stand with all of this, it's just... Washington hasn't been playing very well. USC hasn't been playing very well defensively. They've been hit or miss offensively the last few weeks. But who would I give the team, like, the, which team would I give the benefit of the doubt to? I think it would be Washington right now just because they have the better win against Oregon. That was at home, of course. Washington has looked a little bit different on the road. So that, of course, helps USC. But you know what I mean, Jack? Like, who do you trust a little bit more? I, I don't think we fully trust either team. Both have shown some flaws in the last couple of weeks. But I do trust Washington a little bit more because when they did play Oregon, they ended up getting a win. USC and their ranked, uh, games against ranked opponents have not looked as good. It's a totally different matchup, though, than the Utah game. The Utah, the one ranked opponent USC has played at home so far this season. That was a team that 
wasn't very good offensively and then moved the ball really well, but relied on its defense to keep him in the game and take a big lead. And Kalen Bullock having the pick six, that really flipped the game. So it wasn't even something the Utah defense did. That that was a mistake by the offense. Different matchup. Washington's offense is, of course, really good, averaging over 400 yards a game and over 40 points per game, I believe. So just a really, really talented group. I, I just don't know if – like. Utah was a bad matchup. Washington should be maybe a better matchup. I, I just don't know if I trust USC enough for them to get the win. It's a, yeah, so if you're kind of doing the transitive property, Cal puts up 49 on USC. Where do you feel like Washington lands in that scenario? I know that we'll get into it later, but like that's kind of the, the, the scenario that you can put into your head is like Cal put up this many points on USC's defense, even with turning the ball over four times. Like What gives you the confidence that, that USC doesn't give up 50 to Washington or even potentially more? That's that's kind of the big the big question going into the game. But uh, as, as we were talking about earlier in the show, if you guys want to leave your comments, we can put them on the screen. We can answer any questions that you guys have later in the show. So make sure you're leaving those wherever you're watching. And if you want to call into the show to get your voice on the podcast, you can call in at 5124-TUNNEL. We'll do those on the back half of the show. Connor, you were able to go to practice on Tuesday. I was not. I was out for class. And then I was at practice on Wednesday, but there was no media availability after practice. So you and Chris and Ahmad were able to rope in all 13 player interviews. What did you gain from Tuesday's practice? And was it a little bit of sensory overload? I think we missed one. We missed Keon Bars. He was quick. It was a little bit, but I'm glad to get the players and the coaches when we did. It was nice to, to get so many, but usually it was a little bit of a different scenario when the offense goes on Wednesday, but due to a scheduling conflict, they had to go with the defense on Tuesday. Just takeaways, Lincoln Riley, he is getting sick of the defense questions, and I, I, I don't blame him, I guess. I wish the defense would play better, and then maybe he wouldn't have to answer him, but he's just kind of tired of the explosive play questions. He took that one in stride, and then I asked what gives him confidence that USC will be able to stop the explosive plays, and he pointed to the Cal game in the fourth quarter when USC got the stop on fourth down when the game was tied 43-43. That gives him confidence. Alex Grinch, it seemed to me, Jack, like he seemed more relaxed this week. He still said all the right things, and he took the blame for the poor play, but he seemed like a guy who is just like, okay, can it get any worse? We're just going to keep doing what we're doing, make some adjustments. I don't think it can get much worse. So I don't really know if you're a USC fan, how that should make you feel. He talked about how the fourth down stop that USC's had against Cal in the third quarter was the same exact play call as they had in the first quarter when Jaden Knott ripped off a 61-yard touchdown run. Another example of the coaching coaches, I don't want to say throwing the players under the bus, but pointing out execution as a reason they aren't performing well. The whole thing, it, it, it just... You can say the same thing again and again and again, and that's what Riley has done. That's what Grinch has done. Until we see better results on Saturday, I don't think anyone in the fan base, anyone in the media really trusts what the coaches have to say when it comes to the defense, and I don't blame them for that. Yeah, I think it's been funny. Come, kind of after the Notre Dame game, and maybe you could throw in the Arizona game as well, like Lincoln Riley's like, well, if you flip one play, yeah. the game kind of flips on its head. Then it was you flip a couple plays. Now it's you flip five to ten plays on each side of the football, so you're in between 10 and 20 plays of a football game. And I know there were a lot of positions, a lot of plays in the USC and Cal game, but do you feel like that's... That makes much sense where you're saying you flip five to ten plays on each side of the football. Is that a worthy, not a, not excuse, but a worthy explanation for what's going wrong with USC? Or do you feel like it's kind of just coach speak for we've got to fix some problems and backtracking a little bit on the one play, couple play thing? Yeah, I, I think it, it is coach speak. And what Riley is right about and what he continues to say is we still have an opportunity ahead of us to do something special. If we win, we're in first place in the Pac-12. It's all true. But... 
the optimism I think kind of is hollow to a lot of people when you give up the 49 points to Cal and Lincoln Riley says, I think that defensive stop in the fourth quarter is going to provide a spark for our team. But then the next Cal drive, they score a touchdown and we're a two point conversion, uh, successful two point conversion away from taking a lead with under a minute to go. Maybe that was the opportunity to really provide that spark. People are, just don't want to hear that. I don't think any fan, even if they're the biggest USC Homer would say, you know what? That Cal stop, I, I think that's gonna that's gonna really change things for us. It just hasn't been good enough, and Riley has acknowledged that too. People are just kind of tired of the coach speak, and I said he's putting lipstick on a pig earlier this week. I, I, I will continue to say that. It, it just you can point to a number of different stats where it's been really really ugly for USC, and whether it's needing to flip one play, five to ten plays, USC being close. I don't think anyone believes that anymore. Yeah, I don't know if it was just my perception the way I read it. I, I read what Lincoln said is like this gives it, this is a program changing thing. Like it's like the next yeah. couple years could be defined by that one stop, which is you know an even loftier claim that you're making about you know one stop that made it so you didn't give up 50 to Cal. Like this is the most points that Cal ever scored in a loss in program history. And Lincoln Riley came away from it and said. You know, that one stop that we got in there before we almost lost the game by giving up a touchdown, like that one stop could change the trajectory of this program. I don't know. It, it's coming out and saying those things as opposed to, I don't know, saying what I think most fans are saying or what fans would expect Lincoln Riley to say, which is, hey, this defense has not been good enough because we're watching the football games. The defense has not been good enough, allowing 49 points to any team regardless of who it is, but especially to Cal um, for, for the way that they had played so far earlier in the year. And I know Fernando Mendoza had been pretty good since they brought him on against Oregon State and even against Utah, allowing 49 points to anyone, but especially Cal so far this season, like that is a problem that you can't look and say, well, look at this one play that we made. If we fix five to 10 of them, then we've got a really great defense. And especially when you've been saying it for about five weeks now, basically ever since the bye week, which is when they should have had the most time to clean stuff up. And I, I know we're redundant in saying this, but like saying it every week and then not seeing those five to 10 plays or those couple plays change, eventually like there has to be another answer. And then now the fear is, we all remember how the defense ended the season last year. You're playing your toughest games on the year again at the end of the year. Last year, the defense bottomed out. Is it going to be another situation where the defense bottoms out to end this season? Like, I think people are saying it can't get any worse. I don't rule that out, especially when the Heisman Trophy favorite right now, Michael Penix, is coming into town. And then the following week, you got to go to Oregon, who, man, oh, man, are they playing good football right now? Look what they did to Utah on the road a week after USC lost to Utah. I don't want to be the Debbie Downer, the doom and gloomer. It, it could definitely get better, but... I don't really think there were many instances outside of Eric Gentry playing really well and, and Bear Alexander coming into that game where, where I say, okay, you know, this is why I think the USC defense can get better. Because even with both those guys in the game, they had trouble stopping Cal when they really needed to at the end of the fourth quarter. Yeah, you know, there's, it, it's kind of like even when there are the highlights too. You can have highlights, but in a 49-point performance, like you can't point to the highlights. You have to point to the first half where they allowed the two big runs. You have to point to allowing that touchdown on the last drive, even if you get the two-point stop. And I feel like that's just kind of the sentiment I've been echoing all season about this defense is, yes, there have been nice stops. In the Utah game, there were some really nice stops where like, if you just got one more, then you can say, well, look what we did here in the second half. But you didn't. Same thing with, with Cal. Yes, they stopped the two-point conversion, but that was to avoid allowing 51 points instead of you know really coming out and slowing them down and really shutting them down in the second half. Even when the defense has played well, 
They still give up points. Uh, you look at the Notre Dame game where we said maybe that's their best performance against a you know decent uh, to above average to great team this season. They still allowed the points. Like the points were still put up on the scoreboard. And while you can make some of these comments about well they got this stop they didn't get last year. It's still not a great defensive performance. I don't think anyone would argue that this defense is worse than than last year. Like I think this is a better, more talented group that has gotten more late game stops, gotten the ball back to the offense. They have certainly at times played complementary football, but you can't do it for half a quarter or even one quarter, especially against a good ranked team and a good offense, which is what they're going to see this weekend in Washington, and say and point to that as a a, a jumping off point for the program for the next couple years. I think that we have seen some nice plays by the defense. I think it would be naive to say that th- that there aren't those moments, but there's so few good moments that are overwhelmed by the amount of bad moments where if you could have an entire game of the way that they played maybe in that 10-minute stretch against Cal where they forced a turnover, then Caleb turned it right back over, but then they got a, a, you know, a, a stop on fourth down. If you could play like that for an entire game, yes, we could talk about this defense, you know, being at the position that it needs to be for USD to be a national championship contender, a Pac-12 championship contender, a contender to go out and maybe beat Washington in this game. But the unfortunate fact for USC is that 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 10 minute stretch of football or the five minute stretch of football is completely outweighed by the rest of the game. I think one frustrating thing too, Jack, is say USC does win this game. They're not going to win 42 to 28. You know what I mean? They're going to win 50 to 49 if they do hold Washington in the 20s, and they win by a couple scores. Full credit to the USC defense. They'll have played really well, and I'll take back everything I said. I just feel like we know how it has to be, and that is you got to outscore this team. And this year, the hope was, I mean, we were saying earlier on, okay, yeah, you just have to outscore the opponent, but you just hope that it would be better in year two of Alex Grinch with all the transfer portal additions. And, and some people are split. I know RJ thinks USC is still really, really far away from being a good defense just in terms of their personnel. I do think if you had a different coach this year, it could potentially be a little bit better. And I do think the players are better than the output that we've seen. We could debate that. He's not here, so I don't want to get in an argument with a guy who's not here. But you know what I mean? For them to win... If it's 50 to 49 again or something like that, people will be happy. Of course, they won. They'll be in first place in the Pac-12, but then there'll be a big faction of the fans that'll be like, man, oh, man, do we have to play this bad on defense to get these wins? Like, how are we? This isn't sustainable. We can't keep doing this. I think the Utah loss really lost a lot of people. That was sort of the pass-fail game, like I've said on this show. The defense couldn't get the key stop at the end of the game when they needed to. If USC goes out and wins the Rose Bowl, wins out, fine, but I don't think that's going to happen, and sort of that was the game for me that, okay, you, you, it, this could go one or two ways and it gone the bad way. Yeah. I mean, we said coming into the year, like to beat the good teams, maybe you just need one stop. When we said that we didn't mean the Cal game or the Arizona game, or even, you know, when you're looking at it in some ways, Colorado or Arizona state, like those were not the games we were talking about. Fans will feel, I think fine. If USC goes out and they beat Washington 50 to 49 this week, they know the defense isn't great, but like you just beat the fifth ranked team in the country, according to the college football playoff committee, doing that against Cal on the road for a team that you've dominated for the entire series history. And you know, the 110th matchup in Berkeley, like that is not what, or fans are not okay with that, pardon me. But if you beat Washington, no matter how many points yeah. are put up on the board, if it is 70 to 65, <laughs> if it is 100 to 98, fans won't care because you get the win. There will obviously be questions about the defense, but they're not going to be like, 
this win doesn't feel very good. The defense is bad. They know the defense is bad. They're just looking for USC to still find a way to win the game. And I think you have to slightly applaud USC for that last week against Cal. This is only the second, I believe it was only the second 14 plus point fourth quarter comeback in the program's last 20 years. The only other one was the Rose Bowl against Penn State in 2016. Like that, that shows a lot of fight. And I don't think we're questioning at all that the fight that this team has had and that they've shown in the last couple of weeks, they were oh so close to pulling it out against Utah despite about, there was a point there, maybe late third quarter, early fourth, we were all sitting there like, USC's got no chance at winning this game. Then Kalen Bullock comes up with a pick six. USC gets the one defensive stop. They go score onto after Zachariah Branch's punt return. We can argue about it. Maybe they score too quick. Then Utah does get, you know, kick the field goal. If USC gets that last stop, they're still in the college football playoff hunt. They've come off back-to-back -back weeks where they've really fought for a win. And I think that they have shown clearly that they are still motivated. They are still fighting. It's just some of the technical things that, that you can complain about. But I don't think fans will complain about this win doesn't feel good if, if you beat Washington this week, even if it's, you know, 700 to 695. <laughs> They'll definitely be happy, but I think so much of the fan base was so sure that Alex Grinch was the problem, and then Lincoln Riley brings him back. And you trust Lincoln Riley if you're a USC fan. Okay, this guy, he's come here. He, he has a great track record. Yeah, defensively, it's left a little bit to be desired. But we got to give Lincoln Riley the benefit of the doubt, even if it comes to defense, just because look at what he's done, winning 83% of his games in his career, fine. But so many people thought that Grinch was the problem. And then now the USC defense hasn't really improved at all. Definitely isn't that much better compared to where it was a year ago. So many people knew that this was a problem. You win 70 to 65. It feels good, but it's like, man, I wonder, could we be in a really better position if there was a different defensive coordinator? Could we maybe have beaten Utah? Like, I, I think the, the flaws and the frustrations will still be there just because they were number five to start the year. You know what I mean? To have two losses in October, that's really, really frustrating for a lot of people, especially when a lot of these fans thought that they knew what the problem was and it's still rearing its ugly head. Yeah, especially because all the games have looked the same recently. I feel like we come on and we've got the same shows, <laughs> you know, most Thursdays and most Sundays. We're, we're trying to give you guys different information, but at some point when the team plays the same every single week, hard to find different things to talk about. But uh, this is an interesting game, I think, because USC, obviously after losing to Utah, and they've disputed that this week, but... Their college football playoff hopes really fell through. No two-loss team has ever made the college football playoff in the four-team format. I don't think one's going to make it this year, and I think if it is, it's maybe like LSU or something like that. They likely have no chance of making the college football playoff, but they still do have a chance to make the Pac-12 championship game. Even that is going to be hard because you've got to go through Washington, Oregon next week, which I think is USC's hardest game on the schedule. I, I think Oregon right now is the best team in the conference, despite the loss to Washington, and you have to go to their place to play them when they're hungry and motivated with the loss. I'm curious to see whether USC can come out with the same hunger and motivation despite having two losses. And you kind of called it earlier in the season, you know, spoiling a season for a for a conference rival. But I also think like this is a chance for them to get a little bit of not revenge on Washington, but just revenge for this season because there were so many expectations. They had so many expectations for themselves and then they lost the two games. Their goals went out the window. I'm curious to see whether this team comes out looking like a team that's like, we've got nothing to lose now, so we're going to be dangerous on our home turf when we're the underdog. Like, are they going to have that killer mindset Lincoln Riley wanted them to have earlier, but kind of for different reasons where it's like, we've got nothing to lose. You're coming into our place. Like, we're going to ruin your season. Or is this going to be a team that, that comes out and they're like, well, we've got two losses. What do we have to play for?
I, that's where I'm kind of curious, and that is, I think, the biggest storyline going into this game because we talked about the pressure earlier this season, a pressure that maybe lost them two games or, or led to those two losses. The pressure is on Washington now. There's no pressure on USC. I'm very curious to see how the team responds this weekend. I've made this point before, and USC did really continue to fight against Cal. I think they're going to continue to fight really hard against Washington. They're going to come out with their hair on fire, and I, I, I do think they'll start well and, and keep fighting, but the like the pressure that we talk about yeah they're playing with house money they are on offense uh, on defense i think there's a ton of pressure on them because they haven't been playing very well every week it's the same story it's man oh man if the defense was better they could be in a better position and the offense has made its mistakes too but like you said earlier jack all the statistics they're still doing really well it just hasn't looked as clean i think there's tremendous pressure on the defense because they're the unit that is really been lacking this year and even when they're at home I, I I think USC will still feel some of that defensive pressure one thing with the fight Alex Grinch Lincoln Riley they've talked a lot about how USC continuing to fight in all these games has showed them a lot I kind of feel like that's a prerequisite like if you're not fighting then then what are we doing here and credit to the team they haven't quit certainly but I'm I haven't really followed and covered too many teams that that do quit you know what I mean I I think yeah two losses the season hasn't gone as expected but I would hope that USC would continue to fight, and they deserve credit for it, but I, I don't want to give them too much credit. I, I think most teams fight, and that's sort of just kind of what you have to do. That's the name of the game. That's football. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I, I don't think you can point to that and be like, well, we're fighting, so ignore the other problems. Yeah, but exactly. like, I think it is... Like you still have to point out that is still there. You know, uh -huh. there will be definitely there will be people that question that, and you know, maybe national media that don't pay attention, and they're like, well, you know, USC's just given up. They've got two losses. Like, no, watch the game. They're still fighting. They've got technical issues for sure. You look at the run game in the first half against Cal. That'll show you all you need to know. But the fight isn't there, or the fight isn't the fight isn't not there. And so you, I would say, don't let anyone tell you differently. Um, one thing that I think is very interesting. We've talked about how the offense has looked really clunky at, at certain points this season. They've played a lot of teams that saw them last year. Now they're facing their first conference opponent that they did not play last season. And I'm curious as to whether you think that is going to help this offense, because I think where you're talking to coaches, it's hard to, it's hard to play against Lincoln Riley, of course, as a defensive coach. It's probably very hard for, to, hard for them to play against him a first time, especially because you can watch all the film you want. But when you're playing against Lincoln Riley's offense, you're playing against Caleb Williams. If you don't have much to go back on from how he beat you last year or how they out game planned you last year, I'm very curious to see how this Washington defensive staff will handle Lincoln Riley's offense. Do you think that is something that swings into USC's favor and maybe allows them to have a less clunky and more seamless offensive performance? like we saw from them a lot last season when they were playing teams for the first time. I think a little bit for sure. I don't think it hurts, certainly. It might hurt them defensively because they haven't gone up against Michael Penix and those great Washington receivers. But for USC's offense, I, I don't think it can hurt, certainly. And there is a lot of tape out on them, of course, but it's different when you're just watching tape compared to actually living through it the year before. And we have seen a lot of teams who played USC last year have some success. Arizona, looking, like you said, Utah. Notre, so that, Dame. Notre Dame that make that does make a lot of sense to me Jack and, and I think that certainly can help I know that's been a talking point on Twitter too with all the sign stealing people who have seen USC for a few times they can pick up on tendencies they can pick up on signs USC really against Utah had that gray shield because they were so aware that, that Utah might know what they were doing so I think certainly that can help because Washington won't have lived through that yet 
I just keep going back to what I've been saying. I, I just don't trust the team enough. Like, I don't know if that factor is enough to put them over the top. I just need to see a better defensive performance. That's the only barometer I'm going by right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the big example that I would give, and I think Notre Dame is the team that has had the biggest leap from defending Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams from year one to year yeah. two, where they did a lot of the right things, I think, to get in Caleb's face, to put him under pressure in the first game last year. They just couldn't bring him down. They got juked out in the pocket. They were chasing him around. He was the human joystick, as I think Chris Fowler on ESPN called him. And they they learned from that. Now, they, that's something any team could have seen on tape and made their own adjustments. But when you're on the field, you realize the way he beats you. And I think Shotgun did a good breakdown of this on the Helium Boys podcast, is they realized he would always spin around his back shoulder. We talked about it last week. And so when when you're on the field and you realize, man, he's beating us every time like that, then you can practice and and I just think it's something that you gain from not just on film, but from playing him in person, seeing the way that he beat you the last year, and you can adjust to that. Notre Dame did a really good job of when they would get pressure on Caleb this season, they would go after his back shoulder and either bring him down, with I think they had six sacks in the game, or force him up in the pocket and force him to make a quick throw like he didn't want to. He threw three interceptions. Washington doesn't have that. They don't have a, well, this is how he beat us on the football field. On, you know, on the defensive line or at the linebacker position with his eyes or in the secondary with the way he throws the football. They don't have that in-person experience from last year. I do think that helps USC. Maybe it doesn't you know, change how many points they put up, but I think you could see Washington take longer to figure it out. Like USC is normally good in the first quarter against teams that they you know have not seen before and the team that hasn't seen them. And they put up a lot of points early. Maybe there's a couple stops by the defense in the third quarter after halftime when they get a chance to talk things over. But now Washington's learning on the fly as opposed to having four quarters or in Utah's case, eight quarters from last season to go off of. So I do think that is something that helps USC. And maybe you see the Trojans put up more points early on and then Washington makes their adjustments. But I think that's a heck of a lot better if you're a USC fan than a team coming in, knowing their game plan, exactly what they want to do based on last year from the first snap of the game. I agree with all of that. The one way where that doesn't help a lot is if the offensive line plays poorly and then Caleb Williams just doesn't have the time or the running game doesn't get going. And even if there is an element of surprise from USC, they just don't execute enough up front to play that trump card. And I think that's been a big story because I thought against Utah, the USC offensive line did play a lot better. And then against Cal... They sort of backslid a little bit. Caleb Williams had that strip sack, which led to a USC four and out on the defense. So that was nice. But they just didn't look quite as good as they did against Utah. And that was a little bit concerning to me because I think Utah is a better pass rush. So we'll see what offensive line shows up this week for sure. Yeah, I think the other point that you could make is, yeah, sure, USC's defense hasn't seen Washington either, yeah. which you know swings in the, in the way of, of Washington. But I, I would say... Do you trust them? Like they haven't played super well against the teams that they have seen before this season. So I think it probably hurts you at, or Washington's defense more than it hurts USC's because you figure USC's giving up the points regardless. Mm -hmm. I hope defensively, Jack, like can we get Mason Cobb and Eric Gentry for the whole game and no one else unless there's an injury or just you're doing a exotic coverage or something, something different like Mason Cobb and Eric Gentry. I think everyone assumed at the beginning of the year, those would be the two linebackers and maybe we'll see some Tackett Curtis. Maybe we'll see Shane Lee or Rajon Davis in certain spots, but those were supposed supposed to be the guys in my opinion those are the two best guys that you have and now we finally see it against Cal and it, they gave up a lot of points but those guys did play pretty good football for some stretches I hope that USC goes with those two guys going forward I don't know why it took Christian Roland Wallace so long to lock down a cornerback spot he is pretty much by far the best corner 
USC does have one thing going for them where I think they have figured out some guys like best roles. We'll see a lot of Bayer Alexander, of course, Solomon Burge, Emil Muhammad. I, I don't think there are as many tryouts right now. Like Tackett Curtis, his snap counts have gone down a little bit. And Bryson Shaw going to have to come in for Zion Branch. That was a really bad injury, of course, for USC, and I feel so bad for Branch after last year. He had locked down that spot. He was one of the guys who I thought put USC in its best position to win. I think one thing you can be happy about is a lot of USC defensive players right now, like, I, I think the staff knows who the best guys are, and, and they should play a lot. Will Gentry get a lot of snaps this week? I hope, but I guess you can never be sure, because he only did have two against Notre Dame, and he's kind of fluctuated this year. I, I, I hope the staff learned something from that Cal game, though. Gentry was everywhere. Yeah, you guys talked about Gentry on Tunnel Vision. I know that you know, they talked about him on the Helium Boys podcast. I think you and Ryan probably talked about him yesterday. I want to shout out Mason Cobb. I, yeah. I know that he's a player that USC fans kind of love to hate so far this season. Like, they look at that shotgun, you know, he, he tweets like, yeah, Mason Cobb had a couple of the missed tackles. And yes, that is a problem. Of course, you don't want missed tackles. I will take a, a linebacker that's got three missed tackles if he's got 15 tackles in a game, as opposed to, you know, someone that doesn't have a lot of tackling yep. opportunities and misses three tackles. So I think you really have to look at what Mason Cobb is putting together and realize, like, this is the player they brought over from Oklahoma. He's going to have some not great plays, but he's going to hit some home runs. He had two tackles for loss, two tackles for loss. I believe he also had a pass deflection on a fourth down over the middle of the field he had had a couple big hits like that's the kind of player you're getting in Mason Cobb he's going to be around the football he almost had an interception off a tip from Eric Gentry that I I bet he wants back to to get in the INT uh, column for this season but yes he missed three tackles when you when you're tackling when you've got 15 tackles in a game you're going to miss a couple so I think you have to give him a little bit of credit for that and so I think USC doesn't win that game if they don't have Mason Cobb and Eric Gentry of course Gentry made some big splash plays with the interception and the forced fumble but Mason Cobb also led the team in tackles, had two tackles for loss, had that pass deflection. Those are clearly the two best linebackers for USC. I think we've known it all season. We've said it all season. Lincoln Riley said today that the only reason Gentry maybe wasn't playing quite as much was he was rusty after missing spring ball last year and most of fall camp this year, and that there were mistakes he was making earlier in the year that you know don't exactly outweigh the big plays. To that, I say, why was Tackett Curtis playing so much since he was making mistakes? But I think now, if if they are going with Eric Gentry and Mason Cobb as the two linebackers, I think they're finally doing what they probably should have been doing all season. For sure. I think the trouble spots, though, who plays next to Bear Alexander? Who plays next to Kalen Bullock? And can Jalen Smith bounce back from a rough outing against Cal? He has certainly played better games than he did against the Bears. I, I think it's well within him to bounce back. But, of course, Washington is way better than Cal on offense. And I don't know who's going to cover Culp, that tight end for Washington. He is a big boy. And for me, he just screams matchup nightmare going against USC, who's going to be focusing so much on those great receivers for Washington. Who the heck is going to cover that tight end? If it's Smith, can he bounce back? They're going to need him to. Yeah, you've got Roma Dunze on the outside. You've got uh, Jalen McMillan, who could possibly play. Is it Jalen McMillan and Jalen Polk? They've got two Jalens. I believe uh, so. Jalen McMillan, I think, is from uh, yeah, it's from San Joaquin Memorial up in the Fresno area. He what? Last week he had a like he tried, and then his knee was bothering he's him. He's been trying, I think, ever since the Michigan State game. Yeah. Uh, and just hasn't gotten back on the field yet. I think they said he's hopeful that he plays this week. But like, even if even if McMillan doesn't play, like this is still the best wide receiver <laughs> yeah. room in the Pac-12. Isn't that so crazy? And he was supposed to be, you know, come back this season, yeah. go straight to the NFL. It is still a very good wide receiver room. You've got a good offensive line, which I think people, you know, look at what USC did in the sack department early in the year, and they've 
kind of not been doing that this season. I think that goes under the radar just because they accumulated so many early in the year. Didn't really, I don't think they brought down Fernando Mendoza once. Didn't get a whole ton of pressure on him. Um, they didn't get very much pressure against Bryson Barnes. They had, of course, the pressure that forced the pick six, but didn't bring him down. They didn't get any pressure or bring down Sam Hartman against Notre Dame. They didn't get a ton against Noah Fafita. Like, you're looking to a streak now of, of four, maybe it's three games specifically where the pass rush just hasn't been there for USC. And that's what you were banking on early in the season when you would say, yes, this defense is playing poorly, but look at the improvement on the line. Look at the improvement from the edge rushers. Look what Barry Alexander can do disrupting up the middle. They've gotten some pressure. They haven't been bringing down quarterbacks at all. And you're not beating Washington, you know, for as much as we've talked about their offense. If you're not getting to Michael Penix, which few teams have this season, you're not beating Washington. And I think USC has to have a big game in the pass rush department, which is, I think, a little concerning that they have not done that. And I think the only reason it doesn't get talked about much is just because of how good it was early in the year. It's a harsh truth, but they're not doing anything defensively well right now. They were doing... Uh, their pass rush better. Does that make sense grammatically? Yeah. I don't think so. They were pass rushing better. They were defending the run a little bit better. The, the defensive line was really good early in the year against teams who aren't that talented. But when the competition level's gotten better, you're right, Jack. Solomon Bird had the nice pressure on Bryson Barnes. It led to a pick six. That was a nice play. But the pressures have been few and far between. And that was supposed to be the defense's calling card. That's what's so frustrating, too, right now. They aren't doing anything well. I mean, Christian Roland Wallace is, is playing well, I guess, but like the other corner, whoever that is, the, the coverage overall hasn't been great. It's it's a scary situation coming into a game where you've got to play this Washington offense right now. I'd say it's like a, a jack of few trades, master <laughs> of none, which, you know, it's not what you want to see from the defense. I, That's I, not very nice, but I agree. <laughs> I will flip it on the other side as well and say that that is what, something Washington struggles with, which is where I think you want to see this USC offensive line continue that trend. You want to see them protect Caleb Williams. That is something you can look at as a positive for USC's offense coming into the game. I believe Washington has 10 sacks all season, which I want to say is also tied for the, the lowest in the, the FBS. Maybe it's the lowest in the Power Five. They're not bringing down the quarterback much at all. They were tied with Cal last week. Of course, Cal brought down Caleb Williams a couple times, got some good pressure on him, but less than I think we had normally seen. And Caleb was better under pressure and has been the last two weeks. Washington does not bring down the quarterback. They have not done a good job at getting consistent pressure, despite having really good edge rushers and uh, Braylon Trice being you know, their best one off the edge. That is something that Washington has struggled at. And so I, I feel like this is just lining up to be a game where there's going to be a lot of points scored. But I think maybe whichever pass rush is better could also decide who has the upper hand. Certainly. I'm looking at the numbers. Washington averages 1.3 sacks per game, which is 120th in college football. And I think USC was double that at... Yeah, 2.6. So they were better, but now they're 42nd nationally. That could be a huge part of this game. And Caleb Williams, even when there is pressure on him, we all know his escapability. Keep hitting the mic here. Talk with my hands too much. He is really good at that, of course. So I, I think that's a big factor in it as well. Man, oh man, though, what is going to happen with like Adunze and, and, and Polk? Like, to me, I just get nightmares of like Dalton Kincaid, what he was able to do against. USC. Who was the last great receiver that, that USC's gone again? I'm, I'm putting us on the spot here. I would say it's Tedero McMillan and Jacob Cowing for Arizona. And yeah. Obviously, they both balled out. It, it's <laughs> it's kind of that the syndrome yeah. of like, you can know they're coming and you still can't stop them. Like, that's what's happened to USC. Couldn't so, you argue that these guys are 
maybe even a small step above. Like I oh, think these, the world of those two a, Arizona guys. They're a, they're a big step above. They're yeah. a sizable step above what I would say is probably the second best like wide receiver duo in the Pac-12. They'll get another good one in, in, in Troy Franklin at Oregon. He's obviously excellent. But I would say like if you're looking at the last great receivers yeah. they faced, it's probably those two. And then if you're kind of looking back, you probably have to go back to last season. But they also, you know, they knew Sione Vaki was coming. Couldn't stop him. They knew Cowing and McMillan were coming and no one else on that Arizona offense. And they couldn't stop them. Same thing with the Kincaid last year. Like, I think you're looking at a similar spot here with Odunze. McMillan, if he plays, definitely Polk. Um, and, I, I, you know, getting into game plan for USC and you know, the ways I see them winning you can't allow deep shots. That's something that Washington, when they're when they're operating well on offense, it's deep balls early, it's deep balls often, and the reason that they have been slowed down in the in the past couple of weeks, going without an offensive touchdown or a touchdown at all, really against Arizona State, and you know not really clicking on all cylinders against Stanford, is they've been looking for the deep shots early. Teams have been taking it away. They're playing back a lot like teams have done a little bit to USC, forcing Michael Penix to be patient. He can obviously do that, and I don't know how much trust you have in USC's defense, even with playing back, to really stop guys in front of him, but that's what you need to do because you can't allow the big plays early on. If USC is doing that, I think it's wraps because they're going to go after that all game. And I think if you're Washington, then you have to respond with the run. They, like USC, have not committed to the run as much as you would like them to, I think, if you're a Washington fan. So if you're USC, defensive game plan, I think it lines up pretty simply early on. You play, you can't go, you know, cover zero or cover one where it's only one guy back. You will get beat. You have to play a couple deep safeties. You have to force Washington to go underneath, to run the football, and you have to kind of make them work slowly and hope that, on the eighth play of the drive or the ninth play of the drive, someone gets impatient, someone misses one of their assignments, and they either turn the ball over, you know, maybe they don't convert on a third down if you force it. That's what you need to do if you're USC. Of course, they've had trouble doing that. They allow big plays a lot, but I think it's going to be important for them not to this week. Of course, it is important every week, but if they're allowing the big plays early, USC's got no chance. I wonder if Alex Grinch is going to change philosophically at all in this one. Like you saw against Arizona, Arizona just dropped everyone in that Washington game, and Washington, it was exactly what you said, Jack. They took the short stuff, and they were really in control of the game up until they fumbled at the end, and Arizona made it close, but Washington controlled that game the whole way. So will we just see a different look defensively? Because it really has been pretty similar. USC on defense just does what it does. It's the four guys on the defensive line, the two linebackers, maybe one blitzes, maybe one drops into coverage, and then nickel safety, two corners. And then two safeties. It's we haven't seen too many variations of that. And I know on the other podcast we were talking about this off the air. USC really only had that one nickel formation that they lined up against Callen. So will they look a little bit different with that? That's a question I have. Washington also they've turned the ball over in the red zone a little bit this year. They had a fumble against Arizona in the red zone. They had, Penix threw that interception. wasn't really his fault against Stanford. It was more the receiver's fault. They also had a fumble in plus territory against Stanford as well. So Washington, while they have hit on a lot of these explosive plays, they do have a little bit of a reputation for turning the ball over, especially in areas where they really shouldn't in the red zone, just settle for the field goals. It'd be in a lot better spots. If USC can force Washington into some of those situations too, that will of course help. Yeah, so I'd say that's my, you know, that's one of the keys I think for if USC is going to win, you have to take away the deep shots early. Maybe they sneak in later in the game, but you can't allow it from the first snap. You can't allow it to be like a Utah situation where they score on a big play on the first drive. Like you're not beating Washington like that. The other key is you need to continue to run the ball. I think Lincoln Riley did a much better job. Uh, 
of this against Cal, where even though they weren't running the ball with a ton of success early in the game, he didn't get away from it. He stuck with it. Marshawn Lloyd and Austin Jones won USC the game down the stretch with with their big runs, mostly Lloyd um, with, you know, a couple runs after the catch, as well as, you know, a big run down the sideline. USC stuck with the run there. They ran the ball with success early on against Utah, but then they got away from it. I think USC need to continue to run the football because while USC's defense is, run defense at least, is bad, and we talk about that most weeks, Washington is only slightly better. They are still a bad run defense, and I think their secondary is better than USC's, so you're not going to beat them by just dropping Caleb back with five routes on the field and picking them apart. You need to run at this Washington front, and I think that USC, while I think this game is going to be a shootout, I don't think they win a 60-point game with both sides. I think this is going to be one of the games where USC actually wants to slow their opponent down, slow the game down, because I think they've got a better chance at winning, you know, 42-38 as they do 70 to 68, something like that. Like this is going to be a game where normally USC is the one that's the other, the opponent's trying to slow them down, slow the game down to get Caleb Williams and the USC offense the ball less times. This time, I think you could see USC try and use that formula to their own success. And I think that starts with running the ball a lot with Marshawn Lloyd early in the game because he's so good. We talk about it every week. He is so talented. He's so fast. He's so strong. He has put the ball on the ground one time in the last, or one time each of the last two weeks. But I just think you have to ride the hot hand because he's one of your most talented players. It's an area where Washington struggles the most on defense. I think you have to take advantage of it. And I think this is the one week where USC would actually benefit from the game slowing down a bit and having less possessions for each side. I agree. Washington, they give up a lot of yards, 400 yards per game, but they do a much better job of getting tighter in that red zone. They allow 20.6 points per game, which is 27th in the nation, and their red zone defense, the percentage of times a team gets into the red zone and scores is at 76 or almost 77%. For USC, it's up at 94%. So I think Washington is kind of like, to your point, Jack, about running the ball, you, you got to run the ball. They'll they'll give up the yards, but it's all about what happens in the red zone if Marshawn Lloyd isn't breaking a, a home run carry. And Washington, their defense, I think, is everything that USC's should be, which is fine. They're giving up a lot of yards, but they're not breaking at uh, a lot of crucial moments. I mean, against Stanford, they, they didn't look great for some stretches, but their whole body of work this year, the opponent points per game are, are way below USC's. The red zone numbers are way below USC. They're giving up yards, but they're doing what my New England Patriots used to do in their heyday, bend but don't break. Yeah, they also had you know Tom Brady and they had Bill Belichick and they won a lot of Super Bowls. So I, I don't think how's Bill gonna... Belichick look now? Terrible. Yeah, there you go. Uh, maybe they need Caleb Williams. Who knows? But I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I, you know, you're going to need to commit to the run game. We've mentioned that a couple times. Um, there's, there was a point that I had in my head that I kind of just lost it. So maybe this is a good time to go to some callers. We've talked a lot about this game, and I think it's time we hear some outside voices. If you guys want to call into the show, it's 5124-TUNNEL is the number to call in. So we'll take a couple calls, then we'll go to our questions here in the chat. We will start with our first call. It's Dave from Iowa. Calls in every show. Hi, Dave. How are you doing? Hey, Dave. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, guys. How's it going? Um, well, you know, I got a, sta- I got a statement and a question. Uh, my statement is, you know, thus far this season, you know, USC blitzes on, blitzes on third, and, third and long against San Jose State. You blitz, you, you blitz on second down against Utah at the end of the game. And then according to Shotgun, the defense plays the same package, the nickelback package, the entire game against Cal. You know, from that perspective, fans can be mad at Alex Grinch, but, do you know who, but, but in that sense, do you know who approved that? Lincoln Riley. That's an issue. But my question is, in terms of the analysis and breakdown of the Cal game, kind of seems like no one at 247, or sorry, no one at com mentioned that Jaden Ott barely ha- had a carry in the second half. That was the game, so to speak. I mean, like, you know, in like the, and on the broadcast, it was tough to say if, you know, he was injured, he had his helmet on. He, wa- he was in a couple plays, but they didn't even run the ball. So- All right, I'm going to cut Dave off real quick. I kinda, We know where that point was going. I agree that Jaden not He got hurt. He got hurt. He got hurt on a, a – actually, in the first half was hobbling around a little bit. He was the last Cal player out of the locker room coming out of halftime. Then he gets popped again by Mason Cobb in the second half. That really seemed to be the one that he was hobbling off the field. A couple trainers had to help him into the injury tent – don't know what the injury was. I have not paid attention to, you know, Cal's media for the week, but that did give USC a big break, obviously. But they were doing better at stopping the run to start the second half. Bear Alexander clearly played a big part in that. But I mean, I don't know. I was on tunnel vision on Sunday night. I was driving back from from San Jose, but I would have said that USC caught a big break with Jaden Ott not being able to play the second half. I, I'm not sure they win the game if Jaden Knott is playing for the entire second half. It's it's a great point by Dave because was it more of what USC was doing or was it just a guy getting hurt? I don't think we'll know for sure. If Ott was 100%, Bear Alexander coming in certainly helps. But based on what he did 100% in the first half, I, I wonder how much that did weigh on the uh, or lead to the struggles for, for Cal's run defense or run offense. And then... Cal going for two at the end of the game. Justin Wilcox said, like, Ott wasn't the only guy who got hurt. Other guys got hurt in that game. Cal was just down a number of bodies. And at running back, they were on, like, their fourth or fifth string guy who wasn't even on the depth chart. Like, they couldn't survive in overtime. They felt like people aren't really talking about that, especially the USC coaches. USC, credit to them for coming back in that game. But Cal lost, like, six players and impact guys, too. That certainly fueled USC's comeback, too. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And then, you know, to Dave's first point about how they they blitzed against San Jose State on third down. They blitzed against Utah on second down. They run nickel. I, I, I'm not sure how you can put that on Lincoln Riley. I mean, we talked to him today during his Zoom interview about how much he has really been putting his focus on the defense. He said during the offseason, he said he was going to be more hands-on. He was more hands-on in the offseason. But of course, during the season, like most of his focus has to be on the offense. I don't know if you can look at Alex Grinch's tendencies and say that's on Lincoln Riley. It's more evidence for why, you know, the blame might have to go to Alex Grinch, but I don't think you can just say, well, look at what Grinch is doing consistently. I can't believe Riley did that. Like, it's, it, Grinch did it. I also think Grinch has done a better job of not blitzing in awful spots as the season goes on, which you'd think would lead to better results, but the USC defense still kind of stinks, so maybe I'm giving him too much credit. But you know what I mean? Like, against, I think, Arizona State, remember, they had that inside handoff on the third and ten, and 
USC brought everyone and Scadaboo just, you know, the defense got sucked up. Scadaboo easily scored a touchdown off to the left side. That was a blitz where I thought, okay, that was a really bad call. There haven't been too many of those. I mean, the Sioni Vaki wheel route, I guess. But last year, I feel like you could point to a number of different times like, okay, why did you blitz there? Why did you blitz there? Why did you blitz there? I think he's been a little bit more resistant to blitzing at times this year, and the results haven't been that much better, which is a problem, but it's not like they're doing the same thing, I guess, so that's maybe good. Yeah, we've got a couple more callers in the queue. Again, guys, try and one question, get it out as quickly as possible. Um, but yes, yeah, so we love to hear your guys' thoughts on the show. <laughs> Hi, caller, you're on Tunnel Vision. Hello. Chris Kingsley from Utah. Hello. And, uh, I think, uh, you know, you guys are doing a good job. I, I agree with what you're saying. And but I have a question on uh, special teams. Yes. Is there a way that we can get someone to work with the special teams in, in, in practice? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Thank you for the call. Appreciate the call. They can't make... I don't, at least I don't think they can make staff changes during the season. Now, you know, they were going to elevate Cliff Kingsbury to be an assistant once Lincoln Riley was sick with pneumonia if he couldn't make the game. But you really don't see huge changes to the coaching staff, I think, especially for something uh, we mentioned it as big, but something as small as a special teams coordinator. That is something I think they would look at in the offseason. And, you know, Connor, we've talked about it on the show. They've they've got coaches that that, that practice special teams in, in practice. The meet, the portion that we get to watch, you've got running backs coach Kyle McDonald working with the returners. Like, they're dedicating time and, and some coaches that coach other positions to working with the special teams. But I guess to answer the question, I don't, I don't think you can add a special teams coordinator and then take away someone's job midseason. Even if you can, there's no way USC is doing that this late in the season. Lake and Riley's philosophy, and I don't think it's going to change even if USC special teams get worse as the year goes on. It's why would I hire one full-time assistant coach to do something that we only spend two of maybe eight or nine periods of practice on, and that's just how he is. So like you said, Jack, he hires assistant coaches who have experience in special teams, and then they work with their respective units. They have one special teams analyst. That's what I've thought was sort of interesting a lot of the premier programs in college football if they don't have a full-time special teams assistant coach they have a few analysts dedicated to special teams usc just has the one i'm sure there are some lower level analysts who are aren't labeled as special teams people but help out as well in that capacity it's just interesting though i do think it's a little bit different than what some programs do and as for people hoping that usc makes a change and brings in a full-time special teams coordinator in the future riley has repeatedly said he's not going to do that it's just against his philosophy that's how he does things Love it or hate it, that's the truth. we got one final caller, and then we'll go to questions before we wrap up the show with our score predictions. Hi, caller. You're on Tunnel Vision. Hey, this is Curtis from Moreno Valley. How you doing, fellas? Hey, Curtis. Hey, Curtis. All right. I want to talk about Alex Grinch's defense uh, for the upcoming game and for the rest of the season. As I mean, this is what we need to do. Washington is pretty much air raid. All USC fans remember the air raid when Graham Harrell was our offensive coordinator. Man coverage, you can deal with it. Nobody can, you can't stop an air raid if you go man. We go man too much. We blitz all the time and it's man coverage. We need to drop eight with a spy on the quarterback. Even though Penix doesn't run, we need to get used to it. Let our athletes fly to the ball. Let them watch the quarterback drop to their zones. You know how much time Caleb has to stand in the pocket and wait and wait and wait because they're dropping eight, and the line slowly gets to you. What do you guys think? 
Well, thank you for the call, Curtis. I mean, yeah, that's some, something we were talking about earlier in the show. I think that's how you teams have shown that they can slow down Washington, and it's what teams have shown. You know how teams have shown they can slow down USC because when USC isn't running the ball, when there's you know three guys on on the defensive line, they have not had success passing the ball. I think you need to force Washington into that predicament, make them run the football, and even if they beat you with the run. That is not you know, the way they normally beat teams. So I think you'd rather lose with Washington excelling at something they're not normally good at as opposed to knowing they can pass you to death and then just letting them pass you to death. And this goes back to what I was talking about with the philosophical changes. Like, when was the last time, Jack, USC didn't rush forward? Like, I just feel like they rush forward every single time. And if they don't rush forward, it's not like they're rushing fewer players. They're rushing more. They're bringing other guys in from a blitz on a third and long or something like that. So... I get what Curtis is saying, and I, I think it might be a smart strategy, but I don't know if the USC is going to deploy that strategy. Just what have they done this year that makes you think they will consistently drop eight? I'd love to see it. That would tell me that, hey, what we're doing hasn't been working. Let's try something new. It's risky, of course, doing something that you haven't practiced for a few weeks just to try to beat an opponent, but isn't that kind of also the game of football? So I hope they drop eight a, a, a few times. I, I could see that succeeding. Um, I just don't know if they're going to do it. Yeah, no, I think it's a good point. Thank you guys for all the calls. Um, if we didn't get to your call, apologize for that. We're going to get to some questions now from YouTube and Facebook to round out the show before we give our score predictions. A. Saunders on YouTube says, question, why is USC having trouble with executing on the bubble screen? Connor, do you have an answer? Dennis Simmons has talked about receivers needing to do a better job blocking on the outside, so I'm sure that's part of it. I also, it's an answer I've given before. I think people know that play's coming a little bit, and it's easy to defend if you know it's coming. So maybe USC can do a better job of disguising it, and that could lead to some success. But yeah, that was a major, major part of the offense last year, and it just hasn't gotten going for whatever reason this year. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think that the blocking is something that we applauded early in the season. They clearly like to block. But it's something that hasn't been quite as good the last couple of weeks, as well as if you didn't say it, I was going to. I think teams know to expect it now. And maybe Washington won't know exactly how to defend it like other teams because they haven't played USC yet with Lincoln Riley as the head coach. We'll see how that all works out. I think you can also introduce some wrinkles if you're given time by the offensive line where you fake the bubble screen and someone leaks out. I think they had one play against Utah that looked like that where Lake McCree caught the ball down the right sideline. I think it was the longest catch of McCree's career. So there are things that you can do. And I wouldn't expect I would expect USC to get tricky a little bit in this game because we saw the trick play almost work for Stanford on fourth and two against Washington. USC only has three games left in the regular season. If they don't make the Pac-12 championship game, they've got that bowl. They've only got four games left in the year in that scenario. Eventually, you got to get these plays out of the playbook. You, you got to try and put it out there. And you know who better to, to do it against than at home against a top five team in the country that has proven that you know sometimes trick plays uh, can can work against them. Mr. Andrew. 2800 on YouTube says, if USC wins against Washington, is Caleb Williams back in the Heisman conversation? Maybe. If he has a great game, I, I could see him getting back in. If Penix plays really poorly and, and Caleb Williams just totally outduels him, certainly, even if they both play well, Caleb could potentially get back in. I think a lot needs to happen for him to really get back in, in the conversation, but a big game against Washington could certainly be a start. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think... The only way Caleb Williams gets back in the Heisman conversation or wins the Heisman Trophy is if he wins these football games and outduels the competitors against him, Michael Penix and Bo Nix. But you looked at Caleb Williams last year. When did he win the Heisman? He won it by putting up the most total yards that any one player has in the USC-UCLA rivalry in one game. And then he did it by making some just game-breaking plays against Notre Dame and rushing for three touchdowns in USC's two biggest games of the season to that point. 
that's where USC stands right now with Oregon, with Washington, and with UCLA. So clearly he can. I'm, you know, if I had to put money on it, I'd bet that you know. I don't think USC is winning all three of these games. I don't think Caleb Williams is playing perfectly, you know, for all three of these games. So I would bet no. But if they beat Washington, he's certainly back in the conversation. And, you know, his name gets back up near the top. Trek Ranger on YouTube says, when has USC's defense actually gotten the key stop this season? And I think this is something that, you know, USC fans will say as, I guess, a counterpart to what we said early in the season. Saying that they haven't gotten any key stops would, I think, be wrong. They got that two-point stop against Arizona. They got a couple stops to get USC back in the game against Utah, even if they didn't get the final one. They got that two-point conversion stop last week. You know, they're not good. They're not a good defensive unit so far this season, but saying that they have never gotten any late-game stops this season would, I think, be wrong. And I think you're you're lumping your overall thoughts about this USC defense and putting it into every scenario when that just simply hasn't been the case this year. The biggest defensive stops have just come when they've had so many other opportunities to get stops and weren't able to do it that you kind of pull your hair out. The Washington two-point, or excuse me, the Arizona two-point play that you referenced there, Jack, the two-point play against Cal when you gave up a touchdown that could have had you go down a point if they get that two-point conversion. So they have made some big stops, but it's like, okay, you know, where was this a quarter ago or where was this a few drives ago? And, and you're right. They have had some other ones that, that have been OK and they've done well. But the biggest stops that have led directly to wins, they've just been too late this year. Yeah, I would agree. And I think you look at that Utah game and you can compare to last year's Utah game, the first one at least. You see got like no second half stops. Then they get this this year. They get the Kalen Bullock interception is a pick six to give USC to get USC really right back in the game. And then they get a three and out to get USC the ball right back. Now, of course, they don't get that final stop. But how different is this? How different is the conversation around the defense? If they do get that final stop, they would have gotten three straight stops to just ice the game against Utah. The defense would have won the game. They put USC in the position. Of course, they didn't get that final stop. But, you know, saying that they didn't get any stops at all, I, I think is wrong. Steve on YouTube says, forget about the defense. Why do you have confidence that the offense can go blow for blow with Washington? Our offense has looked so herky-jerky in the last few weeks. It's a fair question, but 50 points against Cal, even with a herky-jerky offense that benefited from some turnovers, I do think it's trending slowly but surely in the right direction. You know what I mean? Like, it's not perfect, but... After what happened against Notre Dame, it's definitely better. Utah, the offensive line, looked a little bit better. Last week, they maybe took a step back, but then the running backs look a lot better. So parts of the team are improving. You haven't really seen a whole team effort for a few weeks offensively, but with Lincoln Riley, it doesn't have to be perfect to still be effective. And I kind of just have come to terms with that. There will be some mistakes. There will be some frustrating moments, but I think the offense in, in every game outside of Notre Dame has put the team in a position to win by scoring enough points. Utah, they got bailed out by a pick six, but they were still in a position to win that game. So I just have more confidence in the offense because of Lincoln Riley, because of the players on that side of the ball, even though it hasn't been perfect. You just have to like them more. You know what I mean, Jack? Yeah. I mean, we're talking up this Washington offense. If you're looking at what Washington's done the last two weeks yeah. and even not having their greatest offensive performance of the year against Oregon, like, you could argue that you should be more confident in USC's offense right now than Washington's. Now, of course, Washington on paper with the players that they have got, with what they did early in the season, you definitely fear them a lot. But this is an offense that didn't score an off didn't score a touchdown at all against Arizona State, a team USC put up plenty of points against, uh, and then they didn't have their best performance against Stanford, a team USC was up 49 to three at halftime against. So yes, USC has had some struggle periods and some. 
I think, laborious periods on offense. They've put up the points. Washington has not exactly put up the points the last two weeks. So you could make the argument, I'm not saying I, I will, but you could make the argument that you should be more confident in USC's offense than Washington's offense if you just look at the past couple weeks and you let you know recency bias jump in. Or you look the full season, USC's averaging more points a game than Washington. I agree beating a dead horse here. The problem is who's Washington's offense going up against. But hey, we'll see what happens Saturday. You know, we can talk. I've talked on and on and on this week. If the USC defense plays a lot better, I'll happily say I was wrong. All right. Uh, we've got two more questions here on the YouTube chat. Andrew says, given that USC is playing Michigan next year, what are the chances that a totally normal, not affiliated <laughs> with any school in any way, guy show up to watch the USC and Washington sidelines? I hope with just everything that's happening with Michigan, they're not doing anything like that right now, but you can never rule anything out in the crazy world of college football. So I'd say maybe 10, 15% chance. Who the hell knows right now? We'll have to make sure, you know, shotgun doesn't show up in a, in a Michigan hat if he has one or anything, you know, end up on uh, every news outlet out there, a picture on the sidelines. But we'll have them, uh, I guess, patrol the sidelines and at least keep an eye out for it. And if there is one, you better read Chris's ghost notes because I'm sure he'd have some pretty good notes about it. Final question here before we get to our score predictions. John on YouTube says, can someone explain how a university NIL program for the funding of university athletes is used by some schools to pay high school students and influence their recruitment? So I've heard a few things recently. USC is having a lot of NIL talks right now. And what I've been told is that the NCAA in the offseason is planning to release some guardrails that will maybe change what's happening. And schools like Miami, schools like Oregon, USC feels like they're operating in some murky waters and they don't want to do anything like that right now until something comes down the pike from the NCAA. So I don't think that's going to change until we get those guardrails in the offseason. Fans probably won't want to hear that. But I think that's kind of the stance right now. And those the, the conversations that have been having that have been happening with Jen Cohen and administrators and, and other people in the NIL space at USC, those have been the tenors of them. They're more big picture than we got to change something right now and, and totally switch our strategy. I don't think it's a strategy changes imminent right now yeah and i think if you're questioning you know how are schools doing this i believe it's technically not allowed but it's not like the schools are coming out and saying we're doing it it's probably stuff under the table that stuff's been happening in college football for a long time because ncaa doesn't do a good job in my opinion of dealing with all this stuff they're more focused on you know not making players eligible after transferring for some reason you know differing that for other players who transfer all the time but we'll see where the guardrails come. I think USC, and we've said this for a long time, playing it safe. Of course, they know how stuff like this can go wrong. Look at the sanctions. They're trying to avoid that, I think, as as, mo as much as possible. I'm not saying that's the exact reason. They're, they're not giving out money to high school athletes. But you would understand, why, at least a little bit, why USC would want to be more cautious than other schools because some schools haven't dealt with the punishments, seen the sanctions come their way, see the way that it changes a football program. So I think USC is, is taking the long-term approach with this. They don't know what's going to happen. It's kind of like early in the in the pandemic where you didn't you you know maybe you didn't get hurt by covid too much even if, even if you got it you were fine after a couple of weeks but it was that point where no one knew what the the long term uh, health effects were going to be that's where people were scared <laughs> a little bit i think that's where you're looking at this NIL thing is that you're looking at USC saying we don't know where this is going to go down the line don't put it past the NCAA to, you know, retroactively strike down on some on some schools for for this kind of stuff. And USC is taking the 
the longer term route, I think, as opposed to the short term route. I do think USC's recruiting classes in 2025 and 2026, assuming Lincoln Riley is here and the operation is the same, will be better than 2024. I think for whatever reason, there's a bunch of them, the 2024 class, there still could be some wins down the line, but it's nothing like massively significant that is really going to tilt the balance, in my opinion. I think they bounce back, though in 2025 and 2026 yeah, i mean don't they've got the, i think they've got the right now at least and it's a while in the future lining up as the number one class in 2026 they just got the number one player in california to commit he's also a defensive player it's brandon lockhart who, who committed uh this past weekend they've got julian lewis who will be in the coliseum i believe for his first game of the season this weekend against washington so that's exciting for usc fans who can keep an eye out for potentially their their future quarterback under lincoln riley in the building but yes i would agree with you that usc is at least you know they've got some 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 wins stacking up in recruitment in those future classes and we'll see what they can do with the 2024 class but that's what we've got for questions and callers so connor will wrap up the show What's your score prediction for Saturday, USC and Washington? And no matter which side you're going with, do you have an MVP picked out? It's fine if you don't. Am I allowed to pick, because we say no Caleb, am I allowed to pick a different quarterback? Uh, yes, you can take Miller Moss if you want. <laughs> so I have Washington winning 42-35. to 35, And I guess if I don't want to pick Penix, or if I can't pick Penix, I'll pick Adunze there. Great receiver. He had a solid game against Stanford, but it was Polk, the other receiver, who had the better one, so maybe they'll just switch. That would make me think that Christian Roland Wallace might not have that good of a game, because I feel like he'll be on Odunze, and I, I think Christian Roland Wallace is a good player, so maybe in real time, I'm regretting that pick a little bit, but just talking about how I see the game going overall, I just think the Washington offense, they haven't looked particularly good the last couple of weeks. I do think they'll have a bounce-back game. USC's offense, 35 is, is still a lot of points against a Washington team that they have had some struggles, but they don't give up a ton of points like that. We, we haven't really seen them have like a, a Cal 49 like, like USC did. I just think Oregon and Washington are the premier teams in the conference this year. That's sort of how it's played out, and I like Washington to win by seven. I think all the analysis that you know I've done looking at the game leads me to Washington. I think I think the vibes and, and just the trends and everything, I think it points to USC potentially pulling off an upset. I'm not sure I'm confident enough to actually pick it, but... You're at home where you've only lost one game. It came on a, on a last-second field goal to Utah, obviously, this season. Washington has struggled the last couple of weeks. I, I would say that the, the way Washington has looked the last couple of weeks is the way USC looked when they played at Arizona State and then they played at Colorado and they're just they're really close and it's a lot of one possession games but they're eking it out and then USC went to Notre Dame and they got smoked. I'm not saying USC is smoking Washington by any means but it's definitely a losable game for Washington. It is a tough game. I think the Coliseum crowd is going to be great. It's going to be homecoming. So there's those like the vibes and the feelings that I have around the game. Like I, I just for some reason feel an upset I'm not going to pick it. Football mind is is telling me to go with Washington, especially just because maybe if USC was playing a little bit stronger, I'd say like, yeah, I'm confident they're pulling off this upset. Like you look at the 2016 season where number 20 USC went to number four Washington, beat Jake Browning behind, you know, a great Adoree Jackson performance. That was a great, a great game the last time that Washington was 8-0. But that team had been slowly building up after starting 1-3. USC just still hasn't done that. They only beat Cal by one. So I'm forbidding myself from picking the upset just because the team has let us down you know, a, a lot of weeks so far this season when we think that they could have a bounce back performance. So I think I'm going to go 49-45 Washington. So that hits the over by a large margin. But I, I definitely see a world where USC can upset Washington this weekend. If they do upset them, I, I still feel like it would be kind of that you know, high 40s range. 
I see it's, it's certainly possible too. Just because I'm picking Washington doesn't mean I, I think USC has no chance. I, I agree, Jack. Washington, they haven't been great the past couple of weeks. Just go back to what I've said the whole show. I just haven't seen a moment from the USC's defense that makes me think, okay, they deserve the benefit of the doubt. They deserve me picking them. And I saw a commenter say uh, on YouTube, USC lost to Utah's third-string quarterback. You have to look at that too because what happened the next week when they played Oregon at home, Oregon stuffed them. And, and USC, they had career games against them. The defense has just given up career game after career game to too many players. I'm not getting burned again. I picked USC to beat Utah and cover that spread. Until they cover a spread or win one of these games, I, I'm not picking them. And I guess if they did win, they will cover the spread. So they do that. Maybe next week I'll pick them, but I just can't. They haven't covered a spread in like six weeks. Washington and and you know Mike Panic Michael Penix isn't exactly a third string quarterback. You know no. he's maybe the Heisman front runner in the country. So if you just as mentioned transitive property earlier this week, you know Cal put up forty nine against USC. What does Washington put up? A third string quarterback in back to back weeks has gone off against USC. What does Michael Penix, maybe the best quarterback this season in the country, do against USC? So it'll be very interesting to see. It is going to be a fun game. I don't think. I don't really see a blowout either way. Maybe Washington wins by a couple scores late, but I don't think USC is getting run off its own turf, uh, especially, you know, if they adopt that mindset of, you know, we've got nothing to lose, we're coming to ruin your season. I don't think that they get blown out in the Coliseum. So I think it's going to be a close game and it's going to be entertaining. I think you got to watch the game and just appreciate seeing Caleb Williams and Michael Penix go blow for blow because, you know, we talk about the USC defense. We've talked about how Washington's defense isn't great. Do you have much confidence that this game is going to be low scoring or even middle scoring? No, this is going to be a shootout. Those are always fun to watch, even if USC doesn't come out on top. And I know that's hard to say for USC fans, but sometimes watching good college football is watching good college football. It doesn't get much better than maybe the two best quarterbacks in the country going head to head. I totally agree. And last week I was looking at the over under for USC Cal and I was like, when I was doing my score prediction, like, wow, that's. That's a lot of points. I don't think they're going to get there. And then they put up 99. They blow through that. So anything's possible. I, I could see it being higher than my 42-35 prediction. I, I do think there's some kind of regression to the mean a little bit in, in this one. Again, could be wrong because all signs are indicating like it's going to be points, points, points. We'll see as a... Uh, I don't know who coined the expression, but uh, that's why they play the game, as they say. And there you go. That's a good ism to end <laughs> the show on. Thank you guys so much for watching here on Tunnel Vision. If you're listening to the replay, thank you guys so much for tuning into the show. And if you're making it out to the Coliseum, whether you're an alum coming for homecoming or just going out to watch some good college football, we hope you enjoy the game. We'll be live here again Sunday night. I believe it. I, I'm not sure the roster yet, so I'm not going to make a claim. Not me. Uh, okay, so it'll be... I think probably Ryan and Shotgun and I uh, recapping the game, win or lose for USC. We'll have your your recap here, which assume we're going to have a lot of scores to talk about. But thank you guys so much for tuning into the show. If you're still here, you guys are the best. Make sure you're hitting the like button, leaving a comment, hitting the subscribe button, wherever you're watching. If you're listening to the replay, leave a five-star review. But thank you guys so much for tuning in. Enjoy the game on Saturday. We'll be back on Sunday. It was a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.